me. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Adoptees uh, podcast. Uh, so today I'm delighted to be joined by Holly. And Holly is from the UK. So I know at the moment I'm doing a lot in the States. So it's great to be back home. Um, uh, although, albeit two hours ago, I was in Australia. So this is the power of Zoom because it takes like 10 hours to get to us. Uh, 10 hours? 20 hours to get to Australia. Uh, that's it. Yeah, 20 hours, um, 10,000 miles. Um, so I'm glad to be I'm glad to be back in the UK interviewing somebody from there, uh, from the UK. Um, so Holly, welcome to the show. Hello. Hi, thank you very much. It's good to be here. Yeah. Uh, whereabouts are you in the UK? So I am... Um... Oh, I'm not sure I want to say that, actually. <laughs> okay, do you want to just say the county? Um, I'm in Buckinghamshire. You're in Buckinghamshire. Yeah. Sorry that I... Uh, okay, so uh, if if I ask anything that you think is too private, then just tell me. And I, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that I, uh, I asked too much. Yeah, just Buckinghamshire. Okay. So Buckinghamshire is kind of outside of London. It's west of London, is it, Buckinghamshire? Northwest, would you uh, say? Yes, yeah, northwest. Northwest North uh, of London. So um, just helping people from around the world figure out where you are. So would you like to introduce yourself, Holly, just obviously sharing as much as you want to do um, uh, without being any, uh, you know, if, if there's any confidential if, if issues or privacy issues. I've got my... Uh, I've I've learned no lesson on that, and um, you know, we'll, we, I won't pry any 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 more. This is this is confidential. So I am I'm Holly Marlowe. I'm um, a parent. I've got two children. My five-year-old daughter is my biological child, and my two-year-old son is adopted, and he's been with us for just over a year now. But in some ways, it feels like so much longer, and in some ways, it feels like no time at all. I'm very strange, especially. In the current climate with COVID, where you can't go and do normal things. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, would you like to share why a little bit about why you adopted or anything like that, or is that is that prying too much? I mean, no, no, not at all. That's that's fine. So, when I had my daughter, um, well, even before I'd had my daughter, actually, I was always quite interested in the idea of adoption, and I think a lot of people quite naively think, oh, maybe I'll adopt one day later on, you know. Um, and I thought, you know, it's a nice thing to do. I'd, I'd worked in an orphanage for a week um, when I was 17, helping to build some play equipment and fix some broken things there. And um, at the time I thought, yeah, uh, this is something I'd like to do because these children are adorable and it's really sad that they haven't got anywhere to go, you know. So it was kind of in that, that kind of vein that I initially thought about it. And then life moved on and I got a, I got a job, I got married, that sort of thing. Um, and when it came to it, um, I decided that I, I also wanted to try having a biological child, um, mostly because that's that's just kind of the the thing that people expect, isn't it? Um, so um, it, I didn't think to to do adoption first, but it was kind of in the back of my mind that I'd, I'd still like to do that later. Um, and then pregnancy and childbirth reinforced for me that I didn't want to have more biological children. <laughs> that, was, that was not a very fun experience. Um, and it was quite strange because having had a biological child, people assume that them being genetically related to you must be important to you. So then after that, when I was saying to people, I'm, I'm going to adopt my next child, lots of people were saying to me, well, you know, why don't you... Um, because we'd had some complications and my daughter had become quite unwell after childbirth. They, they felt that that was the concern. And obviously that was, that was a part of it, but I, I just didn't want to do that again. Um, and they were saying, well, why don't you do IVF or, you know, consider using a surrogate and those kind of ways of building a family just didn't really excite me. They all felt very clinical and medical. Um, and I had friends who'd adopted and their families have just, wonderful and I thought that's what I'm interested in I want a family who love each other and and look after each other um, I'm not really worried about whether they're genetically related to me I mean I'm not genetically related to my husband people would be concerned if I was um so I, I don't really understand why people think that's so important yeah um 
And my daughter looks nothing like me, so I, I don't have that need to see my own face reflected back at me. Um, and you can't guarantee you're going to get that anyway, can you? Yeah. So, um, what, why, I, I what, what is it? What is it about humans that, you know, we say, you say you're going to do this and, and, and then everybody like they've all got like an opinion on it. Yeah, yeah definitely. What, what, a need to, of, to change my mind. Why, yeah. I did. That was very strange. I, think, but I, I yeah. found the idea of adoption so exciting and um, people could, people just struggle with that bit. Yeah. yeah. And as I think of, um, you know why why do people do that i think well i must do that too you know like why do you <laughs> says that you're gonna do something why did why did it? but i i don't know whether i do something uh, with as uh something as uh you know like a, a a heartfelt like a deep decision i'm talking i so i often i mean being in business for a bit i often kind of i'll throw in a, a business idea when somebody gives me a business idea i said well why didn't you do that um but not not on a kind of like, well, if that's what you've decided that you want to do, then why, why does anybody want, why, why, why do they think that we're interested in their opinion? Why do they, why do people think that we, like, yeah. we want to know what they think we should do about this? I mean, it's kind yeah, of nuts, yeah. really, isn't it? You know? It is. It's very strange. Yeah. Okay. What, why, so I think, why do you want to, uh, why do you want to start a podcast? Well, because I do. <laughs> yeah you don't always know the exact reason to you it's a feeling well, and, and i didn't i didn't want to somebody said to me why don't you start a podcast do, do your own and i said well i can't be bothered with all the technical stuff and all the editing she said yeah you, you, maybe you don't need to do that oh okay you just need this platform simple cast and that's it really and zoom and you're away all right okay well i'll do it then if it's not going to be too much of a anyway um let's bring it back 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 to you so um so how's it been so it's it's been an amazing adventure actually it's been really hard at times um emotionally i think the hardest thing was actually all the waiting because once we decided we were definitely going to adopt there's quite a lot well first of all there was a lot of waiting just because we had a birth child and you can't adopt a child unless they're a certain number of years younger than your birth child and um, to try to sort of the, the social workers say you have to preserve the natural order so that the new child entering your family is the youngest um, so that when they're getting more attention that's kind of how it should be and your birth child will be affected in the way that they would have been if you were having another birth child and apparently lots of wow. psychologists have figured out that that's the best thing for both children so we had to wait just because of that until our daughter was a bit older um, so we're not turned away by a, um, an adoption agency, but told come back in a couple of years. Um, so there was the waiting in that respect. And then the whole process is painfully slow when you're psychologically ready to have a baby and you, you have to be interviewed. And I'm sure um, you've had other speakers who've probably spoken about the adoption process. So um, you'd be well aware that it's it takes months and months and you have various social workers asking questions and you have to have your um, house evaluated for health and safety and all these different things that always arranging all these appointments kind of delays the process in itself. Um, a social worker once said to me that it's kind of arranged like that so that it takes about the same length of time as it would to get pregnant and have a child so that you are definitely psychologically ready. But I think in practice, they have such resourcing issues that it drags out even longer. <laughs> yeah. I suppose it depends on how long it takes to conceive. But um, it's certainly, it, the whole process for us took about a year and a half. And I think that was relatively quick compared to other experiences. But it felt so long, especially once we'd seen the profile for our son. And people say, so some people say you'll, you'll have a feeling and you'll know. And we actually thought that that was probably just nonsense you know, because we're quite scientific people we thought no we'll just we'll, we'll look at the profiles and when we see one and we think yeah we could um we, we understand those health conditions if there are any or um <clears throat> you know we're happy with the contact arrangements with the birth family and that sort of thing then we'll say yes to that profile and we'll love whichever child we end up adopting um so that was kind of how we mentally went into it and we initially did say yes to one profile and then 
unfortunately um, couldn't adopt that child. Um, he ended up, um, more medical information came to light and he really needed to be in a family that didn't have any other children so that he could be um, the centre of attention, that's a better phrase. Um, but we, we, and we hadn't felt any kind of mythical connection, you know, um, magical connection. Uh, but then when we saw the profile for our son, I did feel that connection, which really surprised me yeah. <laughs> because I, I just thought, I, I just hadn't expected it. But I felt this really strong urge looking at this paragraph that barely had any information on it. I thought I need this boy in my life. He's mine, <laughs> um, which sounds so silly. But uh, I felt kind of crazy, actually. And I must have drafted about four or five emails every day to the social worker to chase them. And then I abandoned the emails because I realized I was going to sound like a crazy person if I sent them because I really didn't have very much information to be saying, please tell me if, if we're going to be matched with him because I, I need this boy. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I don't really know what, what caused that. Um, can't pinpoint it either. There wasn't one sentence in there that made me think he's meant to be with us. It was just the, the whole paragraph. Um, and then as the process went on, we took, eventually saw pictures of him. Definitely all for us. Maybe, maybe it was love. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, but I don't know why I felt that for him and not the other children. And wow, it's just that, that's love. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, you don't feel it's crazy with me. I, we're in the, yeah. um, we're in heart territory. Yeah, yeah, true. Not head territory. Very true. Yeah. And that's why it's lovely. Yeah. It is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Interestingly, yeah. actually, a lot of people ask me, um, what's the difference between having a birth child and an adopted child? And they ask, you know, do you, do you really feel the same? Um, and I, I do. I love them both incredibly much. And I feel strongly protective of both of them. The thing that's actually different is that I'm aware that he has a birth family out there who also love him. And so sometimes, well, I, I'm shocked, actually, at how often I think about them. And sometimes he'll do something absolutely adorable. And my heart breaks a little bit because they've missed it. And I didn't expect that. Nobody warned me that, that I'd feel that. Wow. Um, and it, it's just, you know, like cute moments like on his birthday, we got him a baby shark birthday cake. And he was so overcome with emotion. It was adorable. He was so excited. And his little face was just a picture. And I just thought, oh, you missed that. It's just, I'll... I've got a video of it that maybe one day I'll be able to show them and I'll, I'll tell them about it in our next contact letter, but it's not the same. I feel sad for them. And that's the main difference. I didn't expect to have those feelings. What else has been unexpected? Um, I've been surprised actually at how people have viewed adoption in terms of me having time off. So I initially took a year off work um, and I've since left my job, but we'll come to that later. Um, but a lot of people were surprised because when I adopted my son, he was 13 months old. And well, when he came to move with us, it, it, to live with us, it took a while to obviously go through the process. Um, but people were saying to me, but he's old enough to go to nursery. So why don't you just send him now? And then you can carry on working. You know? but, um, and other people said, are you just going to use it as an excuse to have a year off, you know, because you can and work will still give you paid adoption. <laughs> We're back to that point again. Why is it any of... <laughs> this is just nuts, isn't it? Mm. I mean, yes. like, so what, how, did you, how did you handle that? I mean, what, what sort of things did you I say? I tried to use it as a sort of educational experience. Did you? <laughs> Yeah, so I, I explained, I think most people don't understand that, you know, a, a child moving in, he, he's not going to know me straight away. He needs to bond with me. Yeah. Have you heard of attachment theory? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, it's just so nobody knows about attachment issues, you know, unless you're in this world of adoption or fostering and, and you've experienced it or you know someone who's experienced it. People just don't think about it, I suppose. So I was explaining, you know, he's, he's not going to know who I am. He's going to have to bond to me. And um, people would also say, well, he'll forget everything that happened before, so it'll be fine. He'll just think you're his mum. But 
thinking I'm his mum and, and loving me and bonding to me are different things. You know, you can tell anyone that you're their mum. It doesn't mean that they, they feel it and they feel safe with you and they are convinced that you're going to feed them and look after them and be there for them when they're scared, you know. So uh, to explain, yeah, that's what the year is for. It's not so that I can sit around the house drinking cups of tea while he's at nursery and I'm being paid. <laughs> That's not the point. I, I, I need that time with him, um, which I've had, and it, and it has been amazing. Um, and it did, it took a, probably about nine or 10 months for him to love me, I think. I think I loved him significantly earlier than he loved me. Well, I loved him before he moved in. Um, and and he, he bonded with my daughter and my son very quickly, but I think trusting your primary caregiver, the main person who, who looks after you, is a big deal when you've I've already had two. You know. Yeah. Some adopted children will have had more. I've seen a I've seen a letter in in my adoption file. Um, I've seen a letter from my mum to the adoption council uh, agency. Where, yeah. Uh, for get, uh, for listeners outside the UK, um, uh, adoption in the UK is largely uh, primarily a public sector phenomenon. So it's not. Uh, whereas in the states, it's largely a private sector phenomenon. Um, so yes, so a letter, you know, um, from my mum saying um, to to the count the adoption agency council that that uh, I've settled in well um, uh, and uh, and they love me very much, you know, and um, uh, and so I'd, I'd only been there like within a week, which might be six weeks old. Yeah. So yeah, it happens um, pretty instantaneously yeah yeah definitely we had to write a similar letter actually and uh, i just can't imagine what it must be like to receive that it's very strange what for me no for the birth parents oh for the birth parents. and then for you to later read it, it must be quite strange yeah it was a it, it wasn't um it was a letter it it, it, it well yeah it's um it wasn't a letter that was kind of part of the process. It was something and an uh, an anomaly. So my birth mother wanted to buy me a, a teddy bear. Um, so she, so I had something to. This is the. This is another letter that I found in the file. Um, but she hadn't had time. The traffic was really bad on the way from picking me up from the short-term foster carer to, to take me to the agency at the council. Um, she hadn't had time. So she couldn't, because the traffic was bad, she hadn't had time to go to the shop. So she wrote a letter saying after, the, after she'd um, uh, taken me there, saying that she wanted to do this, would, would the would my parents accept it from them? And, and then there's a letter back from the parents saying yes. And that's the letter I'm talking about. So that, that's when, um, uh, that, that for me, reading that letter from my birth mother that she never, she knew, she never knew that I would ever see, right? Mm. Um, she thought I'd never see, because she was writing that to the council and then it's in the council file. And I, and I got that. That 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 was another you know huge step in my uh, healing when I you know when my some uh, historic anger towards her yeah um, turned into a torrent like so I, I talked about this I wrote about this the other day so the the volcano. The volcano of anger turned into a torrent of tears uh, when I realised how much she loved me and how desperate she was for how what a desperate situation she was in to have to uh, relinquish me, give me away. What I mean, I don't get people get hung up on the people get very hung yeah. up on the on the vocabulary. I don't. Uh, you know it, but the, I, I'm I, I'm about the emotion behind it, not not about the vocabulary. Um, 
so you know i felt i felt her love for me in a letter that she'd written 48 years ago that had been sat in a dark slightly damp um warehouse somewhere i guess um and 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 i realized how how wrong i was in my kind of my thought that I that that she didn't love me enough to keep me. I think it's really important that, that parents are open to that kind of communication as well so that they can let their children know that you know that they are loved by their birth parents too I think maybe yeah. some adoptive parents are a bit scared to to say that I don't know yeah but, but it's important but that you know that it, it, it we're talking 54 years ago things have moved on a lot and yeah. know a lot of guests come on talking about the importance of this and you know, the, the whole thing. But mine was a closed adoption. My mum my and dad met um, uh, met her briefly. I don't know. I, I think it was briefly. And apparently my, um, just referring back to something you said earlier on, my dad told me a few years ago, unfortunately he's died now. Um, so it must have been five years ago. He told me that uh, that my my mum, my bio, my biological mum, first mother, whatever people call it for the different again, they get people get hung up mm. on that. So she, she looks quite similar to my mum, which is a bit oh. yeah. I think even now they try to kind of match so that people look like their adopted families, perhaps so that you, you feel like you fit in on some sort of psychological level or something. Yeah, maybe. I remember being told we, we were chosen partly because our son has similar eyes to my husband. Oh, right. Wow. He doesn't really in real life, but he did in the photos. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it matters. So how long has your son been with you now? Uh, it's just over a year. Yeah. Yeah, it was a year in July, oh. um, which was a very strange milestone. Because um, I, I feel like we should celebrate all the milestones in a way because we missed quite a few milestones at the start. But again, there's a sort of just underlying sadness, I suppose, for the birth parents that, that they're missing it. And, and also slightly for my son that you know, he needs to be adopted. But overall, so pleased that we get to experience having him in our lives. He's an amazing little boy. So what have you learned in that? Uh, well, um, as, as I'm sure you know, the adoption process in the UK involves a huge amount of training. Um, so we, we sort of, on paper, knew a lot about trauma and attachment and that kind of thing. Uh, experiencing it is a whole different thing. And there was a lot that I didn't expect a one-year-old to understand that he, he obviously did on some level, although he couldn't articulate it. So, um, for example, in the first week he was with us, or first couple of weeks, we went on a walk to the park and we saw some friends there and I was holding my son because he was um, a bit frightened because there were other children around who didn't know um, and he was generally terrified of strangers for the first few weeks and I think that's because the last time he'd met strangers it was us his new family and so he was worrying that he was going to meet new people and then be moved on again and he, he liked us <laughs> um, and, and also just I suppose didn't want a new family again um, who didn't know but um, my friend came over and was talking to us and then she helped me. She moved the buggy and then he wouldn't go back in that buggy for days. It was like he was scared that she somehow owned it and, and was going to take him. But um, the second that she touched it, he wouldn't go in it. And a couple of weeks later, my mum picked up his car seat for me when we'd been around visiting her. And he'd seemed quite relaxed with her at this point. Um, he couldn't handle anyone touching him who wasn't in our immediate family. Then he, he got very scared and ran to me. But um, when she touched his car seat, he was then worried that she was going to take him um, and he wouldn't get back in the car seat until I took the car seat out to the car and then put him in it in there in our car. And I, I kept going to say, we're going home, we're going home, you're coming with me. Um, and that sort of thing, I hadn't expected. I hadn't really anticipated that he would be affected. It, that much so soon I, I knew that later on we'd have to explain um things to him and i also knew that at the start it, it would take a while for him to bond with me 
but I hadn't expected him to have that fear that he'd be moved on again. Um, that wasn't something we were ever warned about. And um, I'm not, I don't know if that's common really, um, but that was quite a surprise to me. Yeah. So I, I, I think um, there's some real key points there. The big one is that you know theory and practice are two completely different things. Absolutely. Um, and I guess the other bit is that the devil's in the detail. Mm. It's a little thing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and we handle those uh, there's no preparation for those little things that are big yeah. things you yeah. just uh, you're just winging it but um, as one of my mentors said well yeah we're winging it but we were born to fly <laughs> you know that's that's how life is yeah. You know, we handle stuff as best we can yeah. in the moment with what seems to be the best thing to do it. And and people say, yeah, but how do I do that? No. <laughs> there is no answer. How do I deal with this? What if I don't know? Uh, 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 yeah. Um, the, uh, the human, uh, uh, the wisdom, uh, wisdom is, uh, it comes just in time, yeah? <laughs> yeah. Wisdom comes just in time. It doesn't come in advance. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we spend an inordinate amount of time. I, 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 I remember, I, I, used the met I used the metaphor for this on, of, um, when, I was a, when I was a kid watching uh, Blue Peter, and they were doing a world record domino fall on the this this BBC. So uh, Blue Peter is a children's BBC BBC children's program here in the UK, and they've got this huge studio down in London, this TV studio, and they've got all these dominoes lined up, and and uh, and they're going for yeah twenty thousand dominoes, and that's how the mind works. Well, what if that? 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 <laughs> and uh, and in my head, you know, I click one. This normally happens about five o'clock in the morning. I, I click, you know, I, I click one domino and then I'm what ifing all the way through this, yeah. uh, like those dominoes falling. Um, and that's kind of, that's what brains do. And as human beings, we spend to, we seem to spend an inordinate amount of time wondering what if and forecasting sequences, events and how we're going to handle it. Uh, but we can't solve a problem that's only in our head. No, that's true. And humans are so variable, you don't know which row of dominoes they're going to set up. You just don't, you don't know. <laughs> you don't know which way it's going to go. Yeah, those yeah. dominoes, um, they, they reach a, a junction and um, it can go five ways or three ways or ten ways or all five ways. You really haven't got a clue. Uh, but, you, you know, so we're relying on what our innate wisdom in the moment to get us through the, the, the tricky stuff. So we're going to get onto your book in, in a minute, um, which I loved, full of metaphors, and I'm a metaphor guy, so. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, so how did you come up with the idea? Was, was it, was it, uh, a realization that you had that I need to explain stuff to my to my little boy. I mean, did it come from that, or I mean, it, it was actually before we had adopted our son. It was while we were going through the process, and I was explaining to my daughter, who was four at the time, that we were going to be adopting a child, and she, so she really wanted a sibling. Um, lots of her friends have one who are similar age to our son. Um, so she'd seen them all, all, all the, the friends' mums growing these babies and then she'd seen them tiny and they'd grown up and they were all sort of six months to a year old when they were having these conversations um, and going through the process. 
and she she was just desperate to be a big sister because it looked fun basically um but then one day when the social worker was around um the social worker was talking to her about it and asking how she'd feel and she said something about how she helped babies to find new homes and that hadn't been the language that we'd used so far um we'd kind of kept it quite um quite simple and just said that there are lots of different ways to make families and adoption is one of them that we hadn't really talked about how those babies obviously come from somewhere um but my daughter's quite perceptive and she immediately latched onto that and as soon as the social worker left she she said to me so why are they why do they need new homes where what's happened to their homes um and so i thought okay we, we need to start talking about this now even though you're only four um you, it felt it's a little sad really that that children need to understand this reality but you know some children understand this from much younger so um i thought i needed to explain it to her but without talking about one specific story and um so i was, I was trying to explain there's lots of different reasons why somebody might not be able to look after their child and she was really heartbroken that that was even a concept um, and I love that about her, that she, she just thought it was wrong. Um, and she was saying, but we should help them. Why, why don't people just help those mums and dads so that they can keep their babies? And I really wanted to kind of nurture that, that urge and that empathy. And also to show that certainly in the UK, the way the process works here, I'm sure there are, there are times when perhaps it doesn't go well. And I, I have heard other podcasts where people have been upset at, at, at the way that it's gone but the majority of times the the social workers involved are trying to help and um people do get put in the parent and baby placements the, the sort of foster foster carer supported placements or social worker supported placements where there are other where there are specialists there helping them to learn how to become parents um so i wanted to show that um I wanted to explain to her that, that there is support there and um, you know birth parents don't do one thing wrong or, or fail in one way and then their baby's removed that there is a process that's gone through it's, it's I mean it's not three strikes and you're out but it's a, a sort of a picture is built and then overall they, they come to the um the, the social workers come to the decision that it's not going to be viable for that baby to stay with the parent that just all felt like a, a huge amount of information to to put on a four-year-old um so we talked about it a bit and it, it all felt very intense and then i thought i was going i'm going to try and write a story or find a story that explains this so i had a look because we love to to use kind of children's self-help but help books we've got quite a lot for anxiety about going to school and, and preschool and that kind of thing and, and the dentist and my daughter loves those books when she's nervous she'll go and find one of those books so I thought that's the best way to approach this because she'll relate to a story um, but when I looked at the adoption books most of the ones I could find were about the journey of the parents to the child or the child to the adoptive parents um, it was kind of a we wish not we wish for you I haven't actually read the we wish for you book but it was like all these books were sort of like we wanted a child and then the social worker found you for us and now our life is complete or a, a sad little animal of some sort they're, they're mostly animals was all alone and then it found its home and now it has a new family and those are good those are useful stories there, there's definitely a place for them but what i needed was but why can't they live with their birth parents and i couldn't really find that i couldn't find anything like that so I thought I'd write more myself um, and make sure that it really nurtures that empathy that my daughter was feeling and shows that, you know, birth parents aren't just terrible people. Nobody's just one thing. Um, even people who make a terrible decision um, also try to do kind things and mean well in other ways. Um, and I, I wanted to make it kind of open because all adoption stories are different. So I wanted to use the metaphors so that I could explain that so in the, in the story, um, Deli the duck um, gets distracted by butterflies. And so she doesn't look after her egg and then subsequently her chick well enough and consistently well enough 
to be able to keep him in her care. And I wanted that to be something that could be interpreted as, you know, maybe she's just got terrible memory and concentration because of some illness or, or, or maybe that's just how she is. Maybe she experienced some trauma when she was a child, or maybe she just had terrible role models. So she's not learned that she should do these things. Uh, in quite a few examples in the story, she'll say, oh, nobody told me that. Um, so I wanted that to be a, a kind of trigger point for the adult reading the story to be able to say, see, your birth, your birth mother didn't know about that because her parents didn't show her that, didn't show her that you, you need to have a safe nest or, or eat these good foods and that sort of thing. Um, so I, I tried really hard to keep it kind of open to interpretation to all these different ways that things can go wrong. And I um, read it to my daughter a few times and the, <laughs> the first time I read it to her, she said, oh, but I wanted her to sort things out and keep her baby. I wanted him to be able to stay with her. And I thought, yeah, that's actually, although it's not a happy ending, that, that's the message I want you to come away with at the end yeah. of this book. I want you to feel like that's sad because when I read this to the child that we adopt later, I didn't know it's going to be my son then. I thought when I read this to my future child, I do, I want him to feel, oh, that is a bit, that's sad because he needs to go through that in a, those feelings. And I want him to kind of experience those feelings in a safe place as well when he's with me being cuddled, reading a story. Yeah rather than just one day suddenly thinking, oh, that was sad for her too, when he's a teenager, well, later than a teenager and eventually develops empathy <laughs> and, and thinks about it. You know, I want to, I mean, he may be a very empathetic um, child, um, but I want to kind of help bring out those thoughts early on so that it's not a big revelation and it's not something hard that he has to battle with later. I'm sure I'll still think about it later again, but I want to address it soon. I think if it's addressed earlier, perhaps that'll help. Yeah. I, I think a, I think that he um, will be a, a very empathetic little boy because he's got a very empathetic mum and a very empathetic so. big sister. That's, that's and, true. <laughs> She's a sweet so I'm, um, we, we haven't touched about, we haven't touched on you. Your, your husband, yeah, but I would guess he's pretty empathetic. Yeah, he so, so I think you're probably going to be okay on that. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, fingers crossed. Um. So, uh, I'm sorry, I'm not sure if you, you've gone to this already. Because so, um, have you um, have you read it with him yet? I have read it to him, and he liked the pictures of ducks very much. <laughs> He's only two at the moment, so um, I think it's a, he doesn't understand any of the metaphors, really. Um, I think when he's closer to three, then it will, it will start to hit home. Um, I've read it to some other four and five-year-olds, and um, it's really resounded with them um, a lot more. I think my son is very distracted by the fact that there's a picture of me at the back of the book, so he wants to flick to that. <laughs> um, but I do read it to him regularly, and I have photos of his birth family as well that I showed him and of the foster family and I, I've sort of said um like Delhi Duck and, and like like the foster swans you know to try and make that connection but I think it'll be maybe another year before he's old enough to really grasp that it's helped certainly helped my daughter to process it though she yeah. was really sad at the thought of um of a birth mother losing their child and um she, she really sobbed about it actually um and we actually she was she was seeing it everywhere for a few weeks we went to um to visit her grandparents and they have one of these fabulous gardens with sculptures and, and statues and things in it um lots of ornaments and she was pointing at one that looked like um an adult cuddling a child and she said to me i think that's a sad mummy because her She's cuddling her baby goodbye because it's going to be adopted. Um, and I think that was the point where I thought, okay, I need to write that book <laughs> because she she needs some help to get through this, to, to process this. It's really a big, it's heartbreaking for her. Have you heard 
one of the podcasts where I talk about how I learned that I was adopted. I have. I've heard you on a different podcast this morning, actually, on the oh. adoption and fostering one. And I've listened to some of your podcasts where you've talked yeah. about it. Yeah. So if, if people don't know the reason that this is such a, a topic, such, you know, this particular topic of, um, well, books and metaphors and how we explain stuff to kids, because um, my mum and dad explained, well, I think they did. Um, I'm going to see my mum and I'm going to ask her. Uh, there was a picture book in my in, in in my bookcase growing up, and it was called, I think it was called Mr. Fairweather and his family. Obviously, different days in the 60s. It's very male, <laughs> patriarch of the family. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's it sounds a little bit like one of the books that you've uh, talked about. And uh, there's a, one of the episodes of the podcast I um, I interview another podcast, another adoptee guy who's um, same age as me, roughly same age as me. And um, he said, uh, uh, on our first conversation, he, he brought the book up and he'd heard me talk about it and he said, was this the book, Simon? And, you know, he, he brought it up onto the screen because we're doing it yeah. on, a, on a Zoom video call, like how we're doing this. And I had, I mean, I got goosebumps now. Yeah. Um, uh, and I was going, yeah, that's the book. So I think um, I think it's an incredibly powerful way um, to explain it in context. And you said that you wanted about five minutes ago. You said you said that you wanted to make sure that it wasn't about him. Yeah. In general. I don't, what, what did you say? What? Yeah. So I wanted it to be something that um, could explain a variety of reasons why somebody would be adopted. Because there's not, sometimes there's several reasons and it's kind of an overall picture. And sometimes, you know, sometimes there's there's drug use involved, but more often than not, it's, it's learning difficulties or or the parents, have, both parents have been traumatized themselves. And so they are unable to parent because they either haven't learned how or they can't remember how um just not have the, the sort of solid foundation that, you, that helps you to be able to do these things um i wanted it to be something or, or sometimes there's mental illness that means they can't remember these things you know i wanted it to be something that a lot of people could use and because it was written before we had our, our son i didn't know what his story was going to be so i didn't want to say well, we're going to be adopting a baby because this has happened. So you know, it's okay. Don't be sad for his parents because this happened. Because that might not be true. Yeah. And also I think it, it's okay to be sad for them. I'm sad for them. <laughs> I think it's it's good and it's human. So yeah. I wanted to nurture that. Yeah. There's a gentleness about all this that uh, touches my heart. Oh. <laughs> what are the questions that I haven't asked? Um, <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> um, I, did you did you feel? Um, how did the book make you feel out of interest? Because I have been contacted by a few adoptees, adult adoptees, saying that they bought it for their children. Because a lot of adoptees go on to adopt. Um, and a few have contacted me and said, oh, that was actually quite therapeutic to read. How did I feel? So how did I feel reading your book? Yeah, did you picture yourself as Little Chick? Uh, no, I think I was probably looking at it too deeply. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so... I've got a very, I've got a radically different take on, on adoption to most people. I don't know whether you've picked that up or to most adoptees. Mm -hmm. I don't know whether that's, whether you, whether you've, that's hit you listening to me on other podcasts. Yeah. I feel a bit like I'm stroking my own ego here really, but um, <laughs> I'm, I'm interested, I'm genuinely, genuinely interested. Do, do, do you think I've got, a, I think I've got a, a different take on it. Is, is that coming across? Uh, I think, so I've 
I've come across a few different viewpoints um, and you have similar viewpoint to one of my friends who is an adoptee um, from what I gather that um, not everybody is hugely traumatized by the uh, you said in a professor's interview this morning you know, not everyone is damaged I think you said or not everyone is not everything is about the adoption and you can kind of read into things too much. yeah um, definitely so this is obviously me processing as 54 right yeah my book before we started talking uh, we start, before we started recording this and we were talking about my book and, and I've tried it a few times and not not uh, decided that I'd rather talk than rather than write so but the working title of my book and I have done podcasts on this is uh, uh, is prime uh, is fundamentally unwoundable mm -hmm. fundamentally unwoundable so I believe that, and that's obviously a direct contradiction to the primary wound. Because I believe that who we truly are, um, spirit, um, we are spiritual beings having a human experience. I believe that that's, that uh, spirit, because spirit isn't a thing, it can't be wounded. Okay. Wounded is some wounds are something that happens to flesh, but we aren't flesh. We are the animating life force behind the flesh. So some some people refer to our bodies as meat suits, which I think <laughs> is rather yucky, but. You know, I, I guess I'm just throwing out different metaphors here um, to because some different metaphors last for different people. So I believe that we are the life force that animates the body. I've been um, unlucky enough to see my father-in-law uh, who had died. And I didn't want to see my dad who died. And I think one of the reasons for that is because he wasn't there anymore. Yeah. So fundamentally unwoundable. Does that make sense? Um, kind of, but you okay. you've experienced these these big feelings about the the teddy bear you mentioned. Yeah. Um, so what would you, what are they, if that's not a wound? Well, well a wound is, uh, I'm, I'm going very meta, I'm going very um, uh, factual. Okay. I, I, so uh, so uh, being adopted has, for a couple of very intense moments in my life, made me feel wounded. Right, I, yeah. I'm emphasizing the word feel. Adoption has hurt my feelings. Mm -hmm. Being adopted has hurt my feelings, especially when I thought that I wasn't good enough. She didn't love me enough to keep me. Mm -hmm. I have felt wounded. It has helped. It has, it has wounded my feelings. Adoption has wounded my feelings and it's wounded my ego, my, my sense of who I am. But my sense of who I am isn't actually who I am because none of our we all have we all have an ego but we are we aren't we aren't we aren't our ego yeah we're something deeper than that that's so I use the met the metaphor I use is the diamond you might have heard me talking about this so um we're all diamonds. We go through life and uh, poop happens to us. Mm -hmm. I, I get relinquished by our birth mothers. Or we have, or we, you know, or, or, our, or, or our, our brother dies or, you know, we all have stuff, you know, stuff happens to us, all of us. Mm -hmm. uh, and we all have... Uh, feel horrible sometimes 
uh, and we all have horrible feeling thoughts in our head but and and they are all poop they're all sh1t that obscures the diamond and then we we get to a point where we think that we um that we smell and we think that there's something wrong with us and i've done all my healing work or my consciousness work with people who uh, who aren't adopted and none of them think that they're good enough either Right. So I, 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 everybody's got this not good enough stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, that isn't that isn't adoptee. That isn't restricted to adoptees. Not thinking they're good enough. Um, so we start to think that we're not good enough, and 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 then we apply a, a layer of this is a mentor. This is a, a analogy from my um, a mentor of mine called uh, Michael Neal, who has. I'm just applying it to adopt adoption. So we think we, we think that we're not good enough and we think that we smell. So then we apply a, a layer of nail varnish to try and uh, camouflage and, and, and hide the poop that we think we are. Um, and that's our ego. So my metaphor for ego. Um, uh, but that's not who we are. It's the shell that we put on to try and protect ourselves from the word, to hide the poop in our hearts and heads and our, in our past. Uh, and uh, ult but ultimately we are the we are the diamond and the diamond is the stuff is the toughest the toughest uh, substance known to man or woman or non-binary people um whatever um it, it is it is incredibly tough and the other thing is Shirley Bassey says diamonds are forever yeah. so you can't scratch a diamond um but you kind of need to see you need to see this. We all need to see this stuff for ourselves. So mm -hmm. me seeing it doesn't help you see it. You seeing it helps you see it. Yeah. Yeah. No such thing as a secondhand insight. We have to have them for ourselves. So, um, so when I was reading your book, all that stuff was is that's my baseline. Right. So I was looking at. I was looking at. I was enjoying your. I was enjoying your metaphors. Uh, uh, I didn't, uh, and I was thinking how huge it could be. Oh, thanks. And I was thinking of the scope of that, and I was thinking of all the things that I'd wrap around that book yeah. for different audiences, mm -hmm. uh, and my publishing mindset was racing away. Yeah, makes sense experience that I'm finding it um, really rewarding um, hearing from people who've, who've read it, particularly with their children who are sort of five to seven-ish um, at that sort of age where they ask a lot of questions, you know, and, um, and then they're, they're at the age where they're applying it to their lives and, and uh, it's helping them to process it. So that's been really Yeah. Really yeah. It's brilliant. Yeah. So check out the book. I'm going to put links in the show notes. Um, and um, have you got anything else that you'd like, like to share? No, I think I'm good. Thank you. Okay. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. And thanks for, thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thank you. See you again soon. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.